This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Nicole Angelique Kerr. She's a award-winning health expert and is the author of You Are Deathless. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Roman, and I should also say aloha to you. <laughs> yeah, that's a great place, obviously, our uh, off, off the uh, interview conversation, but Tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I got to where I'm at today um, thanks to, um, I would say, a miracle, a divine intervention. Um, I was pronounced dead at the scene of a car crash. Uh, I got to where I am today because I had an amazing medical team that could deal with trauma back in the 80s. And thanks to certain medical advances, I was I was able to, to save um my foot and some other uh, areas of my body that um, normally would not have been saved. And I've gotten to where I am today through transformation and working really hard on myself in the spiritual domain, in the emotional domain, in the mental domain. And of course, physically, I had to basically go from being in the top physical conditioning that I was ever in, which was being a cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy back in the early 80s when women were just admitted. So I was, I mean, I could have done the Ironman because they just, you just train and train and train all the time. And I'm sure my conditioning helped me, you know, recover from the accident. Um, But I've also, you know, just just all of those factors, you know, have working on that, having to walk again, having to use the bathroom again. I mean, being going basically going back to an infantile state and having to relearn all of that is um, very, very challenging and um, very um, hard because people are there for you when the accident or when a trauma happens, you know, in the hospital or if you're in the, I was in the hospital four months. So, you know, a lot of flowers, a lot of gifts, a lot of cards, a lot of people checking in on you. It's after that, when you start going through rehab and you've only got you and your mom taking you to rehab and, you know, applauding you when you can do two strokes in the water, you know, Um, that's the hard part when you're lacking the support, everybody's gone on with their life. They know you're going to live, not necessarily how good you're going to live, but you're going to live and they go on about their do, their daily lives. So I think one of the things is don't forget about people just because they get out of the hospital. A lot of them have a long journey ahead of them in uh, rehab. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's one of those things that most people in your life, you know, if they find out something happened to you, regardless if it's, you know, an accident or if it's a, you know, a sudden illness, they'll come visit you once or twice. And like you said, they won't necessarily uh, be there. I actually had this past summer, my grandmother passed away because all of a sudden she came in with a uh, stomach pain to the doctor and they said she had uh, liver and pancreatic cancer and she only had a few weeks to live. So 
uh, I mean, we had those few weeks together. So, you know, I saw her every day in the hospital and then when she was discharged to hospice, but you don't necessarily know, you know, how much time somebody has or how much time you have with somebody. And like you mentioned, um, you know, it's tough, especially coming back from something and relearning something, uh, having as many people as you can behind, you know, behind you, behind your corner telling you that they're there for you or, you know, doing something small, like even stopping by for a minute or two, or even, you know, texting or calling or however communicating, it really means a lot. Yeah, you're, uh, that's exactly right. And I try to be mindful about that with other people now, you know, it's just, um, and, and a long, a lot of people are having this long haul COVID, um, symptoms, you know, they're not able to fully go back to work and they're fatigued a lot. And so whatever it is, it's causing them to have to stay home and not feel a hundred percent. And that's a great opportunity to check in on someone, you know, um, because it's depressing after a while when you don't start feeling better. And especially with COVID-19 long haul, they don't know. They're still trying to get the data on that and and when things can turn for people or if they'll turn, you know. So, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, Thanksgiving. It's not just one day of the week. It's something we should celebrate every day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, humans are social creatures, regardless if you're a uh extrovert or introvert you still have that those few amount of people that you you know love hearing from or you stay connected to and having that contact with someone really kind of can boost your your day and if you're obviously kind of compartmentalized in your own little space not hearing from anyone it kind of starts affecting your mental health in a way um is you do need that, I think, interaction as a human as well. Yeah, you start spiraling down. And uh, we're already dealing with an epidemic of anxiety and depression and PTSD. And um, your regulation with your nervous system for most people is really uh, dysregulated. Let's just put it like that. But I um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in the state of Mississippi. You ever heard of it? Yeah, I learned how to spell it when I came to uh, America. It's interesting spelling. Did you learn the M I crooked letter? Crooked letter. No, I? just like the the M I S S I S I P P I, like that quick. And it, it was it was just one time, and uh, I, I learned how to spell it. <laughs> so um, I was raised there, and my dad was in the Marines. He had gone to the U.S. Air Force Academy and wanted one of the four kids to follow in his footsteps, and so. Um, I was, I, I'm a people pleaser. And I think a lot of uh, people, especially women, uh, deal with this identity that they want to please. And by doing so, you start realizing that your needs are not getting met and you don't get appreciation. And at the end of the day, there's not a sense of reward or sense of fulfillment for you. You kind of feel like a roach stomped on you. So um, I grew up, pleasing. I mean, that's what I did to get my dad's attention. And um, I decided um, out of the blue to go to the Air Force Academy. Um, I had been modeling. I'd been doing all this other stuff in high school that did not prepare me for the military. Okay. I was not into airplanes, none of it. And um, I filled out the application. It's a really rigorous process to get accepted into any of the U.S. military academies. And um, I got a call in high school from the representative. They called me in the principal's office and said, congratulations, you're going to be in the class of 86. And I went, oh, my God. I I was shocked because 
Roman, I didn't think I was going to make it. I really didn't. And um, I was stunned because now I was going to have to really do it. And I'm telling you, showing up for boot camp, I look like Private Benjamin. I don't know if you remember that movie, but it was like fire a weapon. Oh my gosh. You know, it was, I blew the base off the target. You know, I was just not ready for um, the abuse either. And there it's a, it's a mentally abusive place, uh, physically abusive. And when you started adding women, the sexual abuse pace came into it. And I knew it three weeks into it in boot camp that my soul was in the wrong place. And I can tell you that because we got one three-minute phone call home. Okay, we didn't have cell phones back then. And you got one call at, there was six weeks of boot camp at that three-week break to call home. My mother answered the phone. And I I just cried when I heard her voice. And for three minutes, I could not get a word out. I was hyperventilating. And um, the commander came over, took the phone away, hung up and said, Kerr, get over there and get yourself together. And I didn't realize it till years later that that was my first panic attack. Um, I was just, I, I couldn't talk. And my mother told me years later, she said, you know, I looked at your father. I said, what have we done to her? And he's like, ah, she'll be fine. But I wasn't fine. You know, I went from there to remedial. Okay. Cause I was always running in the back of the pack. I'm five foot 11. You know, I didn't play varsity sports. So my conditioning was not like most of the athletes that were there. And so I really had a hard time the first year, but the second year is when the accident happened. And that was at the beginning of the year and things were getting harder, even though I had gotten to be into the cadet ranks, you you know, you're, you're out of that first freshman year being hazed all the time and you get some privileges. But um, I was at the beginning of a, uh, um, we were doing a squadron softball game to kick off the school year and uh, people were drinking um, the air force provided beer and needless to say, I asked a guy for a ride back who was a senior. And so he said, sure. Um, and we were the last to leave and he wanted to stop by a bar and get a couple more beers. And I was really conscious that we had to be back by seven thirty-five, or we would get in trouble. I mean, that's always the military. You have to be on time. And so um, I remember the bartender saying, hey, you know, are you okay to drive? And he was like, yeah. So we got in the car in his shiny red Corvette convertible. And I was just glad to be out having fun because the academy is not about having fun. It's about discipline. It's about, you know, every day, every hour scheduled for you. And so um, then he said, uh, you want to go watch the sunset? And I have to say, Roman, I was brought up really sheltered in a really religious household. So I'd never been on a date. And now I'm going to school with 4,000 guys. And my dad's rules were no smoking, no drinking, and no dating cadets, which were totally, when I look back on it, that's just ridiculous. But, you know, that's, that's what he said. So I started going, uh-oh, I think this guy had an alternate agenda. So I'm like, we got to go. So next thing I remember, I woke up in the ICU at the hospital. And I only remember seeing bright white lights. That was it. And I tried to figure out what that was. Was that the hospital lights? Was that the operating room? And um, turns it out, it was a near-death experience. And my memory of that came back 19 years later when I was working in Atlanta for the Centers for Disease Control. I went to Starbucks. I got my usual. And then 
clear as day. I got back in my car and I could remember how I was sitting in the car. And I know now why I cut my uh, foot off and I know why I damaged all the insides of my legs and my uh, severed my wrist and had a really bad road burn on my face and um, was in the hospital for four months, seven weeks in ICU. They did not think I was going to make it. I was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, they estimate I was um, clinically dead 10 to 15 minutes it was uh, a EMT that came and took a look at me after they'd covered me up and did a sternal knuckle press and the right pupil dilated in my eye. That was the only vital they could get. And if you believe um, in your soul, okay, what do people say about your eyes in that relationship with your soul? Your eyes that are uh, like a gateway or a, the windows like to the that. soul, right? Yeah. Okay. So at that moment, my soul came back through my eye and they were able to get me going again. And they got me to the nearest uh, community hospital, which was not a trauma hospital. And they basically just tried to uh, that night, just get me stable. Uh, my blood pressure was 60 over zero. Um, through that course, I had to have 64 pints of blood. That's like redoing your system eight times. Numerous operations, two code blues uh, where I was just gone. And then all of a sudden my heart stops again. So um, I, there was a reason for sure that I was meant to stay here. And that reason came to me 19 years later when my memory came back. And I remember going to the other side and this. what happened was I remember going through the windshield of the car, butt up first, because of the way I was, uh, my legs were on the dashboard. And incidentally, I did not know this. That's the worst way to sit in a car is with your feet on the dashboard or your feet hanging out of the car or one foot there and the other one crossed over. You will have more injuries if you do that. So please, people, keep your feet on your, on the, on the, on the floor in a car. Um, so anyway, I, Remember, uh, when I got to a certain point, I was going up and I knew when I was going to go, uh, when I was going to fall, that I was going to be dead. And I just knew it. And uh, so my spirit, my soul flew out of me at that moment when I flew out of the car before I hit the ground. So I did not feel any of the pain associated with actually hitting the pavement and quote dying. Um, my soul went up with this angel that took me up who later I figured out was my grandfather and on my father's side. And I went to this place that was it, it, the, the beauty of it. I, I, you can't even describe it. Um, I heard other voices. I was not in a human form. Uh, nobody up there is in a human form. And I heard people, I don't know if it was English or what language, but I could understand it. And they were telling people to ask for help, meaning the humans on earth need to ask the angelic realm for help. They're not going to interfere uh, with our lives unless we ask for help, unless it's an emergency like my situation was. So that's one message uh, for the audience is to ask the angels for help. And it, I know people laugh about asking the angels for parking spaces, but it doesn't matter what the degree is. It works, you know, and they will uh, 
provide. And so they are waiting to be asked. So please ask your angelic realm for help for whatever it is that you need. And the second message was, I was told I was coming back and I was like, no, I don't do not want to go back. I could see my body in the ditch. I could see what I was wearing, the teal colored uh, Azad shirt, polo shirt, and the khaki shorts. And um, I was like, I don't want to get back in that body because it's going to be nothing but pain and suffering. And um, the angel told me, Nicole, you've got a message to give to people and it's to not fear death. And I thought, okay, that's a pretty big message. Uh, and how in the world am I supposed to do that? And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't have a choice. And that's why I have an angel that called um, James that really does protect me. He has been the one that has helped me stay the course to stay alive. He's worked so hard to keep me from going back to the other side um, so that I could get this message out. And it's taken me 40 years. Okay. So my memory didn't get come back for almost 20. And then I remembered it. And then it was another 20 for me to align myself to really understand what my soul is and what does a relationship with your soul look like. Um, I was very much cut off from my mind and my body. I did not get any mental health. My mother told the doctor that when he suggested that I have some mental health counseling, she told him that Jesus and God were our psychologist and that uh, I was fine. And I, I wasn't fine, Roman. I had an eating disorder set in four months uh, after I went to live with my sister. And it was because I was just pushing down all the pain. And that eating disorder lasted almost 20 years till I got married. And it's for anybody out there with an eating disorder, you know how secretive it is, you know how shame-based it is. And um, you just get, you hate yourself. You really do. You're disgusted that you say, okay, I'm not going to do it again. You know, uh, 2023, January 1st, I'm not going to binge again, or I'm not going to restrict, or I'm not going to whatever it is. And you can't do it. And you're, you're, you know, you just, it's like, it's not a willpower issue. You have got to get to the source of that pain and resolve that trauma wound that is causing you to use the food to not go there. So you said the the memory of what happened came to several years after the fact. Was there anything that brought about it, like a like an event or a trigger or something that like tied to it? It just came to you out of nowhere. Uh, I thought it was caffeine, but no. Um, and then I went to my chiropractor who does body work, and he was telling me it's um, repressed memories. Okay, and when you go through a trauma, your body will repress memories. And then when you feel safe enough, you're in a, your body feels safe, your mind is safe, your emotional state, your body will allow those to come up. Um, so I guess that point, I had done a lot of work on myself. I was going through counseling. I was going through group therapy, uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, chiropractic, uh, Reiki, anything like that, that I could do to try to try to help me connect to my body and embody the emotions instead of, oh, I think I'm angry. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm angry. That's the appropriate emotion. I'm angry at you, Roman, for doing X, Y, Z. You're not embodying it. You're just intellectualizing it. And there's a 
big difference. And your body over the years, if you don't get in touch with those emotions, it will present physically in dis-ease. And it'll be things that a lot of times the doctors will say, your blood test, everything is normal. I don't know what's going on. And it's usually something, a stressor related to something in your past that you never cleared and you're still feeling shame about it or um, betrayed or angry. You know, it wasn't very nice in the South for girls to get angry uh, at guys or anybody, you know, uh, anger was, didn't look good on women. And so you get taught to not hurt other people's feelings and you certainly don't hurt your mother's feelings or your dad's feelings, you know? Um, so it's, um, it's about the emotions and we are a very illiterate country when it comes to emotions. We pretty much grow up with four bad, sad, mad, and glad. And I think it's really hard for men, especially to start, uh, expanding that buffet to really embody emotions like, um, betrayal or over concern or, you know, um, resentment or whatever it is, you know, and um, to really own it and feel it and be able to express it appropriately instead of just keeping it in. Yeah, I agree. What happened to the uh, the driver of the vehicle? Well, his blood alcohol was uh, well over the limit of 0.10 in Colorado at the time. So he was faced with uh, the district, um, the state of Colorado charged him with uh, vehicular assault, uh, DUI, speeding, and reckless driving. He was a senior cadet. He was in the hospital a week. He had some injuries on his back. And then he, because his dad wore three stars and was head of the Army Corps of Engineers at the time, made one call to the superintendent at the academy and said, I don't care what happens to my kid. He's a senior and he's going to graduate. And that is where rank has its privileges. And it's just caused me to have such a like a sense of justice. My favorite show is Law and Order because I want that justice, you know, because I didn't get it with him, you know, and it's like any other cadet would have been kicked out for that, you know. There wouldn't have even been a shred of evidence that he could present to keep him there. But this guy was able to do it and he went back into the cadet wing and he finished his year and went on um to, you know, have his Air Force career. And I don't speak with him. He never, in my, in my estimation, apologized to me. And uh, he, I turned out was he was an al alcoholic. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that's one of the things that I had to struggle with. And then I find out, this is in the epilogue of the book, um, You Are Deathless, I had a, I had three other roommate, female roommates in my squadron. Okay. And I had not talked to one of them in 38 years. And I got a zoom together in May, right before the book was going to press. And she got on it. I found her on Facebook. And the first thing she quit the Academy in that December. Okay. And she just left and never told anybody why. And so when I saw her, she just started crying and she said, I'm so sorry, Nicole. I said, for what? She goes, I caused the accident. And I said, what do you mean? You didn't cause it. Jim, um, Nate was uh, drunk and um, he caused it, you know? And she said, no, she said, 
we had an agreement. We were going to ride back together. I was going to, you know, um, take you back. And I got with this other guy and he had, was drunk. And needless to say, uh, I wanted to be alone with him. So I told you to go over there to that guy. And you told me that he was drinking and that you didn't feel comfortable doing that. And you said, oh, Nicole, they've all been drinking. It'll be okay. Just go have some fun. And I thought, okay. You know, she said, I'll see you back at the academy. And she never did. And so that haunted her, Roman, for 38 years. And I didn't remember that. And she never said anything to me the whole time she came to visit me in the hospital. But she wound up just uh, the guilt of her. She said, our lives would be totally different if I would have just kept my word and taken you back. You know, I didn't know the guy was going to go to a bar and have two more beers. Um, but still, I feel responsible. And she went and lived her life in Vermont, never got married, you know, just really um, sad because two people really became victims in that. And based on, you know, one guy's decision. And I think it's really uh, when I heard that, I was just like, okay, I didn't just get in the car with some drunk guy. I, I knew that he had been drinking and, you know, I had a plan to go back with somebody else. And I, for the first time in my life was trying to go, I'm going to have some fun. And I just got slapped down big time, you know? And so my parents basically, they didn't, they they blamed me. They said, you know, you didn't follow our rules and therefore you didn't follow God's rules. And so you deserved it. And even when I told them as recently as, as you know, May, when this came out, um, no, this is my roommate. I had a plan with her and she was the one that encouraged me to go with Nate and, um, and my dad, this is the hard ass kind of person he is. He's like, you still made a bad decision and you should have walked home. And I was just like, screw you, you know, and I haven't talked to him since and I probably never will um, because he's a narcissist and he can't admit that he made the wrong decision. I mean, why would you want in the first place your daughter to go to a place that, you know, is abusive? Yeah, it, it, I mean the the whole file. I I haven't spoken to my dad since two thousand eight, uh, or saw him in person. I mean, you'll send me a birthday card, a blank birthday card, and um, a text on my birthday, but that's about it. So, I mean, sometimes uh, for your own, I guess, mental well being, if you can't change someone, obviously, or have them come to the realizations them, themselves that you know their their perspective or kind of their i guess view on something isn't necessarily the correct one and if they can't obviously get around that sometimes it's tough to continue a relationship whether it's you know a parent a sibling you know or a friend yeah and you know at least in the south growing up it's family is everything. Family will always be there for you. Uh, blood is thicker than water. All these messages about your family. So, you know, it, it is really difficult to realize not one, but both of your parents, because my mother does absolutely everything my dad says. They believe absolutely the same thing. And they're today what I would call a religious addict. You know, everything 
God told them to do this. So they never take responsibility for anything because God spoke to them to do this, that, or the other. So you can't, you can't ever win in that argument. And all I can say is God, I was raised with um, being Southern Baptist and Lutheran. Um, That was not the God I experienced on the other side. The God I experienced on the other side was pure love period. And the bright white energy uh, light that people talk about that I saw, it's not blinding. It's like a clear light. But if you think about what I saw where there was all these different colors, um, colors that aren't in existence here on earth, even though we have so many beautiful colors and the color white absorbs all color, right? So if you're in that you're in all these, this beauty is what the way I can describe it. And I felt like I was like in this chrysalis and I was just held and, um, you know, I didn't, I never made a mistake. There was no judgment, you know, um, everything was like wiped away. And I felt a love that you can't even imagine, you know, because growing up we're human And we put conditions on love, whether we think we do or don't. Most of us have some layer of a condition on on love. You know, I think the the best example of unconditional love is usually some of our pets, you know, our fur babies or feather feather friends or whatever. You know, they just are happy to see us no matter what. So um, that blissness I felt, why in the world did I want to come back and suffer with you know, migraines, intestinal issues, uh, limitations physically, all that kind of stuff. But I know today that putting this message out, and this book took me 13 years to write, okay? It is from my heart. I exposed, I was honest, I was vulnerable. I talk about, you know, my eating disorder, which is something people looked at me because I went into nutrition because I thought I could figure out why I you know, I had an eating disorder and, and fix it. I think a lot of people go into professions to try to fix themselves, usually in the service ones, um, but realized it, it was mental, you know, it didn't matter how much I knew about nutrition and food, it wasn't ever going to help the pain. So, um, you know, I'm calling myself now, it's a vocation. I'm an eternality advocate, meaning your soul it never dies. And that's why I say you are deathless is your soul lives on and on and on. When people die, that breath, that vapor leaves you. And it just, it's just your physical body remaining, but that goes on and on and on. And, 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 you know, it's beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. So what's kind of the biggest thing you want people to take away? One thing they can take away from the book that you hope for them to uh, to learn or take with them from reading it? I would love for you guys. Um, most people unconsciously fear death. And so, especially if you're raised um, in a religious family where God was uh, punishing and punitive and, uh, you know, you were going to hell if you didn't do all these rules, but yet he was also loving. So a lot of times... Um, You may think that you have gotten away from that, but it's still embedded in you somewhere in your unconscious. So to look at your fears, and there's even um, a checklist of fears that when you think about your own death, and there's book 
club discussions. So it's really what I'm trying to do is to get us away for seeing death as doom and gloom and negative and to see it as something beautiful and that where we go is beautiful and that we never die. We're not alone. These 10 common positive um, themes that come out of years of research with people like me that have had near death studies. Uh, And so it's just, you know, I hope to give you hope in this book that in death, you go on and on and on and you will see your loved ones, you know, and you're not going to see, they're not going to have Alzheimer's or any of these diseases because we're not in a physical form. That's all like gone. And so, you know, I think we knew it to do a better job raising kids here about exposing them to death early and being honest with them when someone dies, what happens? Because you never know, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us. I didn't think I was going to die at 19. And I certainly, you know, uh, had a friend that that died at 17. You know, she didn't, nobody thought she would either. So it, it happens, you know, and we need to deal with it. Yes, we're human. So we need to be able to grieve and, and surround those emotions with compassion. But we also need to look at the bigger picture, the benevolence, the, the what that means, you know, and um I think uh, for $9.99 to get this book, I think it is well worth it over a venti soy latte. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I appreciate you stopping by. Can you let the audience know how they can find you, where they can find the book or more about you? Sure. I have my own website and uh, it's www.nicole Kerr, all one word, N I C O L E. K-E-R-R.com. And I also, and on there, you can email me and I can send you the first chapter of the book. It talks about the accident and um, the the intro, what I hope that you get out of it. It's not a prescription. It is my journey and it is some things that I think you can take away and think about and discuss with your family and not make it such a taboo subject. Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Nicole Angelique Kerr. I'm on Instagram. Same thing. I'm on LinkedIn. And those are all I can manage because I'm doing this solo. (laughs) I I just can't do any more social media than that. But if you do do a book club, I'm happy to join in, depending on the time zone, for about 30 minutes of your book club and actually talk to your book club about uh, what you read. And it makes a great Christmas gift because it really does help you think about the positive with death and we need to prepare ourselves, you know, and not be resistant to it because it's going to happen to all of us. I agree. Thanks again for stopping by. Well, thank you so much, Roman and happy holidays to you. You too. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.